Hey there, Michael Schaefer here. I'm passing the mic today to our audio producer, Julia Karen, for a sports story she's very invested in. If you're a Nats fan, I bet you've got a stake in it too, so listen up, and I'll be back next week. Today on CityCast DC, it's officially the end of the Juan Soto era for the Washington Nationals. He was dealt to the San Diego Padres along with teammate Josh Bell. So I chatted with Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post about why Soto left and how the Nationals might thrive or not without him. It's Thursday, August 4th, 2022. I'm Julia Karen, and this is CityCast DC. All right, so Jesse, you're the beat writer for the Nats, which means you eat, sleep, breathe baseball and this team. You've covered them for four years, and I imagine you've kind of seen it all. You've seen them win a World Series. You've seen them be pretty good but not great, and now you've seen them in their current iteration. What does this trade mean for the franchise? There's two things here that can be true. One can be that what happened on Tuesday was a prudent baseball decision, business, right? But I think people that buy tickets and people that have season tickets or wear Juan Soto jerseys or whatever it may be, they don't really want to hear about business. They don't really want to know why this 19-year-old pitcher or this 21-year-old outfielder could be good in 2025. They want to have the guy that they've fallen in love with for the last four seasons and watch him. So I think what we're seeing here is sort of a clash of head and heart to some degree. And I think that it's okay to admit that it's frustrating, even for those that maybe understand the baseball elements, uh, you're allowed to feel that's a major part of this. There's sort of emotions tied to what ultimately probably was the right thing to do at, at this moment, but won't feel right. Yeah, for sure. It's obviously a clash of head and heart, and I'm sure Nats fans' hearts are completely broken right now. But how is this a prudent decision? Like, why would the Nationals trade him and why trade him now? Yeah, I think it's like a pretty simple math equation in the end. They made one sort of a massive contract offer this summer. They tried to sign him for 15 years and $440 million. But to him, it, that would have ranked him 20th all time in, in average salary. And he is worth more than that. The open market would likely say the same. So the Nationals here are saying, like, we don't feel like we can sign him long term past the next three seasons. And also, we don't feel like we're going to be that competitive in the three seasons he was guaranteed to be here. So then I guess it's like, what do you do with something that you think you're going to lose in a couple of years. You try and get as much value as possible back. That's sort of just how the trade market works. Juan Soto is more valuable this year because the team getting him, the Padres in this case, gets him for three playoff runs potentially instead of two or instead of one. And each time they waited and pushed it back a season, the package in return that they got, which ultimately is a collection of really, really talented young players from the Padres, would have lessened. So it's a way to maximize value. And again, it doesn't mean it's fun, but that would be the internal sort of logic and justification of a decision like this. I imagine that like not having Juan in the locker room after you've had him here for a while, at least for the players, must also feel weird, especially because he's the face of the franchise. Like how do the other players on the Nats feel about this? What have they had to say? Sean Doolittle had interesting comments about how he understands why this is bad for fans and why they're upset. So that was the most poignant comment for me was to hear a player openly discuss this collision again of business and pleasure and sort of fandom and the money side and all these things. And I think what the Nationals are going to have moving forward is a small crisis of some point, of some 
you know, scale to get people in the ballpark and get people to care again and get them to invest emotionally in things they can't see because these players from the Padres coming back are not going to be in the majors. And that was sort of part of Sean Doolittle's point as well, is that Juan Soto's, the comparisons to him are Hall of Famers right now. So if you don't get that back, the present and the immediate steps are going to feel really hollow. There's no way to replace him. The team that traded for him is trying to win this year. So if you're a player on this team right now, outside of a small handful that are part of sort of the future plans, you want to be on a good team in the moment. You want to play in big games. You want to prove your value in the postseason. And you can make an argument. It's like chicken and egg theory. Like some of these guys are on the roster because the team is not good. But I think as a competitor, the inclination is you want to win baseball games. And then the front office is sort of not doing that. And they're not sort of pulling on the same rope in the the same direction. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I think the players, by and large, are much more reflective of the fan opinion on this than of management. The fans who pay, overpay, frankly, for tickets, (laughs) they want you to win the game they're going to. They want you to win the series that they're watching. So I think that those views or those goals are typically aligned. It helps when everyone understands the bigger picture, that there are reasons this happened. It's also okay to be annoyed not only that it happened, but that the team and the sort of arc of the franchise bent toward this. You don't trade Juan Soto as a result of one week or one month or even one year. You trade him as a result of years and years and years of tiny missteps that ultimately amount to, well, our only choice is to trade him. That's a hell of a spot to be in with one of the best players maybe ever. To have to trade him. Uh, That doesn't have to happen. I think for folks who like maybe are not as obsessed about Juan Soto as maybe you are or I am, you compared him to Hall of Famers. And I think, you know, we should maybe back up a little bit and contextualize who is this guy? Like, why was Juan Soto such a big deal to this Nationals team? Yeah, I think there's a pure baseball answer to that, which is anytime you have a player that is getting comp to Ted Williams or Mickey Mantle or Mike Trout or Ken Griffey Jr. Some of the greatest players literally in the history of the game. Yeah, I think if he plays in your city and wears the uniform that you have as a jersey, there's going to be a special connection between you and that player. When he came up and debuted in 2018, that was the year Bryce Harper was potentially going to leave. So there's a huge – you could draw a line between the importance of Juan Soto and the need to sort of replace Bryce Harper as the face of the franchise, the main guy, the sort of one everyone watches and comes to see. Juan, in some ways, he came up in 2018 at 19 years old and was immediately like just crushing it that can really be related to the fact that fans needed something. They really wanted to you know, grab onto a new player after Bryce Harper was exiting. So that's sort of the emotional element of this that I think can't be understated. And then, of course, the World Series. And then even in the last three years that have been really dire for the Nationals, that have included a lot of losing, a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of frustration, he sort of stood as this reason to keep watching and hanging on. So I think there's those elements as well. So he's really just been this whole way, the right person at the right moment. And it's just unfortunate that him being so good is what ultimately complicated his future in Washington. For sure. This is a guy who's won the team of World Series. He also now, kind of in a parallel to Bryce Harper, has a home run derby to his name among, you know, many other awards. But I can't help but kind of pull on that thread of the Nats let Bryce Harper go. They traded Trey Turner to the Dodgers. Max Scherzer walked. I got to ask, 
What does it say about a team in this regard that they've managed away these big names in the way that they have? It's fair to be frustrated that Bryce Harper's gone and Anthony Rendon's gone and Trey Turner's gone and Juan Soto's gone. I think it's also fair on the national side to sort of balance out the equation a bit that they have spent a lot of money on their baseball teams before this season. They were you know, perennially in the top of payrolls. So if they were not a team that did that, if they were totally cheaping out on the product and then also their stars were leaving, I think it'd be easier to sort of say, well, you know, you're not making a financial effort or you're not sort of investing in the product in the way fans are with their hard-earned money. There's ways to get ahead of these things, to offer extensions before players get crazy expensive. There's ways to spend more, frankly, and offer more money. So you make sure the guys that you develop are not just going and being fed to other teams for their playoff runs, which just seems to be the case in the last couple of years. But I do think that as tough as it may be to swallow, it's worth remembering that for a long time now, for nine, 10 years, the Lerner family and Mike Rizzo were regularly spending among the highest in the league and putting a really good product in the field. Yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned GM Mike Rizzo. The pitchforks are out on him on social media, all over Twitter. And I imagine fans are furious with how he's managed this team. What's Mike Rizzo's future with the team? So we know he's back next year. His contract option was picked up for 2023. I think a major factor for him is that ownership's exploring a sale of the team. There's a really good chance the team sells. Generally, people come in and they have an idea of who they want to run things. And it's not usually the person who's already there. It doesn't mean Mike Rizzo can't sell himself or sell his vision to the next owners. I mean, he obviously knows the team and club better than anyone. But I would say that, you know, aside from the last three or four years, not going how any owner or executives would want their baseball team to play. There's also this looming factor of an ownership change that will affect a lot. Yeah, for sure. Now, kind of looking towards the future, obviously, this team got a haul of prospects in this deal. Who did they get from the Padres? And should fans be optimistic about this potential new core? Yeah. I mean, they got a left-handed pitcher, Mackenzie Gore, who's has a bit of major league experience, was a former top pick in the draft. They have shortstop CJ Abrams, who's again some major league experience and could be a cornerstone there. And then they got a pair of younger outfielders that they're really excited about in Robert Hassel and James Wood. Those guys are going to go to the lower level of the minors. They're a bit more farther away. They were high school draft picks, so they're really young. And uh, Yarlin Susana is a teenager from the Dominican Republic who was the top pitcher in the international market this past year. He throws really hard. That's sort of the minor league hall. Again, like you could analyze these guys over and over. I probably plan to do that in my stories soon, but it'll be more uh, informed opinion of those who see them, scouts and team execs, rather than just spouting off what I can read online because I think th- those resources are great, but at the same time, I'm interested to hear how the Nationals evaluate these guys now that they have them in the door rather than relying on sort of what they were in the past. For sure. Is there any chance that some of those top prospects that you mentioned, that Nats fans might see them potentially this year or even next year at Nationals Park? I think Abrams is the one. And then Luke Voigt is a first baseman. He was sixth player in the deal. He is majorly experienced and, and I imagine could join the Nationals right away. So that's he wasn't one of like the sort of young ones in the deal. He rounded out the trade, but uh, that's a player you'll see. And then I would guess Abrams is the next one. It would make sense to see him fairly soon, definitely by the end of the season. Yeah. Obviously, you had mentioned that, you know, in this instance, it's for Nats fans, like a conflict between like their head and their heart. How do Nats fans that you've talked to feel about this? And why should they still care about this team when they're, you know, kind of bottom feeders at the moment? Yeah, I think there's a frustration that the new owners didn't make this decision. Among the fan base, I think the argument 
from the baseball side would be that they're trying to put the team in best position they can in the moment. And that's something that a new owner should want ultimately. But I think that Mike Rizzo said publicly that there was no mandate from ownership or within the sort of pending change that he had to do one thing or another. This was purely what the front office thought at this time was the best thing to do, given that they didn't think they could sign Juan Soto long-term. That said, (laughs) as far as why you follow, a lot of these players are going to end up in the minors. It's tough to start over again when, you know, Five years ago, Juan Soto was one of those guys. I think of prospects a lot of times are like ideas. They're sort of just floating out there as these concepts we hear a ton about in social media. And people are kind of like, well, this guy's kind of, you don't know what they look like. And you haven't seen them play and you can't picture it. They're they're magic beans. You're kind of reaching into the magic bean hat and you're guessing, ah, yes, maybe this guy will pan out. Or maybe he won't. Exactly. And I think that's a hard thing to sort of stake your entire fanhood on. So we'll see how that looks and we'll see how people respond to that. And ultimately, I'm interested frankly, to see how the fan base responds to sort of having to make that pivot again and go back to sort of a a pastime. Gotcha. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining. Please drink all of the coffee in the world. Uh I imagine the last few days have been super stressful. And uh, thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you. And before we let you go, some quick news. First up, four black women are suing DC Fire and EMS, that's Emergency Medical Services, for race and gender discrimination. D.C. Fire and EMS Chief John Donnelly has refused to comment publicly on it, but the women say that they were paid less than the men on the team, given fewer overtime opportunities, and faced more disciplinary action during their time. Meanwhile, with three weeks to go until school starts back up, D.C. Public Schools is facing a serious shortage of substitute teachers. The number of subs has dropped by 50% in the last two years, according to a new D.C. Policy Center report. A lot of teachers say that they're quitting because of low pay, lack of benefits, and COVID concerns. Finally, the African Diaspora Film Festival is back this weekend. The festival will be held at George Washington University Student Center and will feature 16 different films, including documentaries and fiction films. Seems pretty cool. If you're nervous about being in a crowded theater, 10 of the 16 different films will be streamed online so you can watch them from the comfort of your own home. We'll drop the link in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. I'm Julia Karen. I'm one of the producers. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilve. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and Mike Schaefer. Music is by Alex Roldan. Like the show? Tell a friend. Rate it. Leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Seriously, smash that subscribe button. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. See ya. Is my AC off? Yes. Love that it's either become a rotisserie chicken or have good quality audio. There's no in-between.